Tune into the manifesto hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. Welcome to the fourth episode of the manifesto. My name is Logan. And today my guest is Don Darling, the former mayor of St. John. Hi, Don. Hi, how you doing, Logan? Oh, I'm doing fine. Great. So, I want to talk about what you did after your mayor, Tim. You sold your house, packed your belongings in a storage unit, took your wife, your dog, and bought an RV and traveled across the continent. I want to hear your stories about what you saw and what you did. Yeah, yeah, we did that. We did all those things. Um, you know, I think we'd been thinking about it, Logan, before uh, the end of my term. And then, of course, uh, um, COVID hit. And in, in March of 2020, we got the news that um, all municipal leaders, their terms were going to be extended by a year. Mm-hmm. So I was supposed to have been finished up in March of, or June, excuse me, of 2020, but that got extended out to, to June of 2021. So we put our plans um, a bit on hold, but I guess that gave us a lot of time to think about what did we want to do. And and uh, the short version of the story is we, we ended up doing a 30,800 kilometer <laughs> trip around North America. You can call it a pilgrimage. You can call it uh, an adventure, whatever you'd like. It was um, absolutely uh, an amazing uh, adventure, I guess is the word I'll use. We traveled east to west in Canada, and then we went down the western coast of the U.S., and then we came back and spent some time in Arizona, which is a really nice place uh, to spend winter. And then we um, went all the way south and came all the way back through the Gulf Coast from west to east and then up the uh, the eastern seaboard back into New Brunswick. So uh, it gave us a lot of time to um, rest and rejuvenate after five tough years as, mm-hmm. uh, as a political figure or political leader. And uh, we saw some beautiful places and we had some uh, incredible experiences as well. So, you know, for example, visiting Montgomery, Alabama, and the epicenter of the civil rights movement, uh-huh. you can't you can't not uh, be impacted by standing on the steps of the state capitol where Martin Luther uh, King Jr. stood uh, back in the '60s. So yeah, so we had quite a journey. Um, so you were elected mayor back in 2016, and I remember at the time St. John was in a downward spiral. Industry was closing, stores were closing, uptown was a ghost town. But when you were mayor, you you and the city rejuvenated uptown and across the whole city. The population's up, there's jobs again. What did you guys do to make St. John a place that people want to live in again? Yeah, it's a great question, Logan. I, I think a couple of things I'd say. First of all, I think the, the council previous to mine had really started some of the heavy lifting in terms of, um, you know, working on some of the key elements of... Uh, or, or, or um, you know, rebuilding the foundation, I guess, is the way I'd say it. But, you know, I've reflected a lot, uh, you know, on the trip that we just spoke about. I reflected a lot about um, my time as a political leader and, you know, the, the state of politics that we find ourselves in here now, not only municipally, provincially, but, but nationally and, and across North America, a very divisive time. And I think one of the challenges, Logan, when, when I became mayor, frankly, uh, the narrative was that everything was quite rosy, uh, that things were great, uh, and that the city was a city on the move. And, you know, depending on how you measure that, I suppose that could be true depending on your perspective. But I became mayor in June, and by September of, of 2016, 
you know, we were in a fiscal mess. Mm -hmm. I had discovered throughout that summer that, you know, the financial plans that a a good organization should have were basically non-existent, that we had all kinds of governance issues, you know, a lack of clarity on where were we going, what did success look like, clarity of roles of, you know, the roles that individuals played uh, in, in not only council, but agencies, boards, uh, and other groups. So, so there was a lot of problems. You're right. Um, so September of 2016, the census came out and uh, the city lost $3.3 million in revenue when it was discovered that our population had declined by 2,457 people. So we were in a mess. And, you know, when I look back at those times now, um, you know, yes, and I'll tell you here in a moment the, some of the things that we did as a group, but there was really no excuse, frankly, for the position that we were in. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a there's a denial a denial that happens, and it's still happening to this day, where leaders do not address in a in a holistic or a complete way uh, the challenges that we face. And you know, it's not the announcement that matters. It's actually delivering results that matter most. So we had to get our our fiscal house in order. We had to put long-term financial plans in place. We had to redefine growth because there frankly was little definition. And in my mind, it was you know, growing um, jobs, growing the population, growing the tax base. So we really focused in on that heavy lifting so that we could put some of those foundational plans in place that could be followed over not a single term of council, but over multiple councils so that the city could truly start to turn a corner. And I, you know, I think because we did a lot of that heavy lifting and and frankly, uh, Logan, when you have a crisis, you're forced to make uh, decisions differently than you would if things were rosier, mm-hmm. and uh, so so I think you know uh, despite the the challenges of the times, I think the city is in a better place because of that. I want to talk about uh, American Iron and Metals, everyone's <laughs> favorite scrapyard on the West Side. Yeah. During your term as mayor, you were an outspoken critic about it being unsafe and noisy and a, really a plague on the city. Past two year, a past year, two employees have died, and they have done no investigation, mm-hmm. no talking about it. Should the city on Rayleigh's provincial government revoke their license and make them leave the waterfront? Yeah, so so there has just a slight correction. There. I mean, WorkSafe is uh, doing an investigation. On the first investigation, as I understand it, they uh, they did recommend charges be laid, and the Crown Prosecutor's Office has decided not to lay charges. We don't know where the second invas- investigation stands. But but you're right, Logan. I've been outspoken. It is a, a, a first of all, I say it's a political leader's responsibility to advocate for the best interest of 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 its. Of citizens um and you know i i was outspoken and can remain outspoken about uh aim or american iron and metal i don't believe they're in the right spot mm-hmm. and i do not believe that the provincial government is doing its job when it comes to uh the oversight and the regulation of that facility the owner is a, a big character is the way i would describe <laughs> 
describe him. Uh, he flies around with an entourage. If you say anything he doesn't like, he screams and yells and throws temper tantrums and uh, threatens to sue you. So he's an intimidating person. <laughs> so I really goes back to governance and and be careful who you get into business with. Uh, so the port has entered into a, a long-term lease with this individual. Uh-huh. Uh, the province regulates uh, the the uh, day-to-day operations of that facility, and the city is a you know is a is a bystander uh, to, to watching what goes on at this particular facility uh, that ends up impacting the quality of life of St. Johners, and and I think that gets into a broader discussion about the level of industri- industry that we have in St. John and making St. John that that attractive, affordable place where you can have a quality of life. But I, you know, back to AIM, I, I think they are in the wrong place. Uh, going to be very difficult to get them out of there, but there's no excuse for the provincial government and the regulators and the federal government through the port of St. John, um, you know, regulating uh, and, and making sure that uh, the employees, first and foremost, uh, can go to work and go home at night safely, not not being killed. And, mm-hmm. and I, don't, I don't think we can excuse away uh, or nor should we normalize uh, not only people being killed on the job, uh, but also explosions and all of the other challenges that we've had uh, at the particular site. So it's a tough case, but uh, you know the provincial government in particular and the federal government need to step up their uh, not only their enforcement, but if the if the rules are not. Uh, strict enough to keep people safe and to protect quality of life, uh, then they should be uh, they should be changed uh, and they should be made uh, um, uh, more challenging uh, so that that balance is found. And I think what we're saying in a lot of cases, and we have done so in St. John for decades, is profit and in industry uh, comes before quality of life, and that's wrong. It is. Yeah. Go back and I want to talk more about industry. The property tax rates came out a few weeks ago. I saw a few people, especially some city councils, complaining that industry, especially Irving, is not paying their fair share in taxes. Yeah. You've I've seen you've been outspoken about that for a long time now. What should the provincial government do to make sure that industry is paying their fair share of taxes? Yeah, so uh, so tax taxation is very complex. Nobody <laughs> likes it. No. Everybody says they pay their share. If you think you're paying too much, you say you pay more than your share. So, you know, we've been advocating uh, as a city, and again, I, I keep saying we, forgetting that, I mean, I'm a citizen now <laughs> with that hat on, Logan. Uh, but the, 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 the taxation rules that we're dealing with now um, are, are from the 1960s. So they, they don't work. Uh, you know, we got a commitment from this particular, the Higgs government in writing, uh, all of our local MLAs, most of whom are ministers, basically said to council at the time and myself as mayor, trust us. We're going to fix this. You have our word in writing. And what we're seeing is we're seeing um, changes coming in in drips and drabs, and, and we really don't uh, see how it's fitting together. And I think that, um, you know, the provincial government is very sensitive, Logan, when we when we're critical of tax assessments, Mm -hmm. asking questions, saying this doesn't make any sense. How can industry cumulatively still not be back to their 2013 tax assessment levels when it's 2022, for instance? So I think, generally speaking, people don't trust the tax assessment system. We, We have had a commitment from the provincial government and the premier in particular 
for comprehensive tax reform. The premier, in fact, rejected um, a piecemeal approach to tax reform. And from my perspective, that's exactly what they're doing. You know, one week you hear that they've made a slight adjustment, and the next week you hear that they've made another adjustment, but we're not seeing how it all fits together. So, you know, here's what I believe. You know, first of all, it does need to be completely overhauled. We need uh, a much better commitment. You know, um, if we could only, once people get into government, have the commitment to openness and transparency and engagement that that elected officials uh, tell us they're going to give us when they're candidates or they tell us they're going to give us when they're in opposition, mm-hmm. I think we'd be in a lot better place. So we need, you know, the, the provincial government, the Higgs government and our local MLAs to engage on this issue in an open, transparent and meaningful way, not hide from it and uh, lay out a plan for how tax reforms are going to come about and uh, and ultimately it's got to lead to everyone paying their share and my position often my positions have been controversial i don't believe that uh, i think there's a lot of people that don't pay their fair share of tax Um, it may not just be industry and it also may be that industry is paying perhaps uh, a fair amount of tax, but the city of St. John isn't getting to keep enough of that Mm -hmm. tax. But let me give you just a sidebar example where I say it's a more broad issue than only industry. And I do believe that that the city of St. John is not getting its share of taxation dollars um, as a host city. The, the, The city east of Montreal that plays a host to more industry than anyone else. But, but I've been looking for a home and uh, uh, that's a whole other podcast uh, about the real estate in, uh, market. But but I've been looking, and the other day I stumbled across a piece of land that was assessed for twenty thousand four hundred dollars. That sold for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and the tax bill on that property was three hundred eighty seven dollars. So taxation is broken. Mm-hmm. The entire assessment system needs to be uh, 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 completely revamped. Um, uh, Nineteen sixty tax laws need to be replaced and uh, and we have to not only deal with the issue of tax and comprehensive tax reform but also the issue of regional cost sharing and fairness uh, between the suburban communities in the city and we're seeing that issue is uh, reared uh, its head again when it comes to some of the cost sharing in the region so it's really complex um, so I guess you know bluntly I think we need uh, the elected officials to put their 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 actions where their words have been and it shouldn't take uh logan despite its complexity you know it's been 2016 since uh, the city began lobbying we got a firm written commitment in 2018 and it's 2022 and and really the the ball is not very far down the field st john we're, we're on the coast we are the port city Climate change is a concern for everybody. Fiona hit the hmm. eastern part of the province a few weeks ago. I was just thinking, what if it hit the Bay of Fundy? Yeah. What would the damage have been done to St. John? What do we need to do to mitigate the effects of climate change on St. John and really the whole world yeah well it's a great question i first of all i'm i you know i'm shocked that we're still at a a time uh, you know uh, uh, where people are denying climate change you know where we're seeing um you know federal and and provincial political leaders essentially playing to uh a narrative that climate change isn't real uh and and look if if it's not a carbon tax or a tax on pollution what is it 
you know, and and um, so climate change is real. We've seen uh, a number of examples. Uh, you know, obviously the massive floods that we had in 2018 and 2019, two 100, uh, one in 100 year floods back to back, where we saw people lose their homes. We saw uh, community infrastructure underwater flooded, where we had uh, uh, millions in dollars uh, in damages. So I think we're we know it's real. We know we have a responsibility to act and uh, and we have to find a way to get people to understand that each of us plays a role in this transition um, so the city's actually playing uh, played uh, a, a very important role in both uh, climate uh, adaptation and climate mitigation plans I remember um, it being in my office one day and there would have been many UMB uh, SJ students there there were high school students and I heard this noise I heard yelling and chanting so I went over to my eighth floor office window and I you know you had to get at an angle to <laughs> sort of look sideways and I saw a whole bunch of people down in front of city hall and you know some elected officials would say oh I'm not going down there I grabbed my jacket and I went downstairs to see what was going on what were people there for and they were they were there um, uh, for climate action climate strikes uh, high schools and UMB students and other students were taking Friday afternoons if I remember correctly and they were striking so I went down and I said what are you, what are you doing why are you here and they had their placards and I asked Asked, what do you want to achieve? And 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 some people would articulate very uh, succinctly what they wanted to achieve, but most would say, "We want the city or the province to to declare a climate emergency." And my response to that, Logan, was, "Is that all?" Because that's actually easy. Uh-huh. I declare a climate emergency, and we see that in politics all the time—an announcement. A declaration of a climate emergency, a declaration that we're going to work on something. But really what we need is we need outcomes. We need systems changes. We need habits to change. We need behaviors to change. So I remember talking about, well, look, we're working on this. Don't stop at a climate emergency. Let's make sure that the city and the province are actually taking action. So back to the, the city and very proud before I finished up as mayor, we uh, we uh, uh, approved a climate mitigation plan, a climate adaptation plan, where we'll see uh, a massive reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, not only citywide, uh, but, but but within the municipality, a greening of the fleet, uh, less energy use in city buildings. So, so it's real. Uh, we have made massive investments in capital dollars, millions of dollars to deal with uh, infrastructure to protect it against the risk of climate change. Uh, the Coast Guard site or Fundy Key site in the uptown, probably one of the, the best waterfront development sites in Atlantic Canada. If you've driven by there, the whole site's being raised, uh-huh. the seawalls being raised so you know it's um it's not something that is going to change overnight uh logan but for your generation and the generation that comes after you uh you'll be able to judge us on uh you know on on how we've done i just hope we haven't left you in a position where uh where you are still um we're still in an emergency the way that we are today so so i hope that um i hope that more leaders will not just talk about it but they'll actually um measure what success looks like and we'll, we'll start to get some real wins in terms of outcomes you talked about trying to find a house we all know that the housing market is messed up 
the price of houses has gone sky high. The amount of rent units have has, is low. The price of rent has gone high. Should the city pay uh, play a role in building more housing, especially affordable housing, in across St. John? Yeah, I think the answer is absolutely. Uh, I know that. Um, I know that. Um, different levels of government, as you know, have jurisdictions. But, but I mean, this is, um, you can frame this issue. I've been doing a lot of work on this issue. I've been doing work with uh, MP Wayne Long on this issue around housing strategy and what can we do. And I think it's uh, no longer a, a sound position for the city to be saying we can't play a role. I mean, mm-hmm. defining what that role looks like. Um, and I think it's important also, Logan, depending on who's listening, they some people might see this as a social housing issue. Uh, I'm going to argue it's a social housing issue for those that are most vulnerable in our community. I I passed tent uh, encampments on the way here. I think it's inexcusable that we have not yet, I don't care whose responsibility it is, that we have not yet gone to everybody in this city living outside and, and we have at least offered them a safe place to go to make sure they're fed three times a day and that they have the social supports uh, that they need to deal with any challenges that they have in their lives. I don't want to live in a community that normalizes people living outside in, in, in the trees. It just is unacceptable. So I think the city now has to play not only a role in um, defining you know, social affordable affordability, but also market housing. So this is a growth issue, an affordability issue, mm-hmm. and a social housing issue. The number I have in my head is that the if the city's budget doesn't have $5 million in it this year uh, for affordable, uh, to, to improve the accessibility of affordable housing units in the city, we're not taking it seriously enough. We have nowhere near, people get upset with me when I start throwing the data around, but the data is the data. So uh, to the end of August, uh, the city of St. John had about 750 units under construction. Moncton had 2,700 units under construction. So we've fallen behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have uh, the focus that we need to have on this file. Envision St. John, uh, the regional growth agency, is not, in my opinion, does not have the focus that it needs on creating more um, market housing in the city. And we don't have the ownership of this file, Logan. We don't have a team every day waking up and going into a, a war room working on, on this issue, and that's a gap. That's a massive gap. The The federal electoral boundaries are getting, re, they're getting revamped this year, and there's a plan to split the, Saint, the city of St. John into two ridings. One, right, right down the harbor. West side gets put with, like, Charlotte County mm-hmm. and Sudbury County, but the east side gets put in with, like, Ross and Chris Pam. What do you think about them wanting to give St. John two MPs and splitting the city in half? Yeah, I think it's, um, look, on on paper, I, you know, I understand the commission um, has a tough task. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, it has some parameters and factors that it's trying to meet. But sometimes uh, theory and practicality don't don't go hand in hand. I think, um, you know, telling people on the west side uh, to to go to a to go to an MP and in today to 
today's world that is a Charlotte County MP with an office in St. Stephen or St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually not sure where John Williamson's uh, office is. St. Stephen. St. Stephen is not practical no, at no, all. No. Um, there's a natural flow of traffic. Um, uh, you know, Westside St. Johners or St. Johners, I think it'll be very difficult and, and confusing if uh, the MP uh, that represents mostly a rural riding has very different views of what a priority is versus the types of views that a, a an urban uh, city riding will need. Um, and so I, so I don't support it. I don't, uh, in fact, I keep it the same uh, that it is right now having a dedicated MP that looks after the entire interests of the city. And we're seeing this at the provincial level. I'm not sure if you caught the news yesterday where uh, Premier Higgs' uh, uh, newest uh, MLA uh, up from the Mayor Machi area is basically saying to Mayor Lorden, I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to do anything to support you. Um, I don't care about your priorities. Uh, you know, that that's not what we need in political leadership. So uh, I, I think it's, um, again, I would urge the commission to listen to um, the those that, that uh, testified. Unfortunately, I was going to testify, but I, I ended up having to go out of the province uh, uh, that day. So I would urge them to listen to the feedback that they got. And, and I hope keep St. John intact because I just don't think it's practical. And what's going to end up happening is the the St. John MP that's uh, lumped in with Rossi and maybe Quispamsis will end up handling um, the, the entire city's issues anyway is yeah. what will end up happening. But but I, I think that's um, it's not the outcome that's going to be great for St. John in my view. To go back on the city, Brunswick Square is, it, it's, it's a ghost mall. There's with Pizza Hut closed last week, I, I can't name how many stores in Brunswick Square. It's not many. It's been falling apart for years. Should the government do something to make that company who owns Brunswick Square revamp it and make it a lively place and not a black eye on a beautiful uptown? Yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, I mean, I, it's interesting, the debates that we've seen over the last number of years. I mean, I think COVID has been um, very difficult on us, right? I mean, I, I think people are worn out there. You know, we've seen inflation at a level that certainly in my lifetime, I've never seen. Uh, we're seeing interest rates rise. So I think people are in, uh, in a very difficult spot. So it's causing a lot of um, debate around, uh, you know, the free market and and the guidelines and regulations and legislation that we deal with. You know, generally, I, I would support, um, you know, pr- private owners' rights within reason to, uh, you know, to the buildings that they own and so on and so forth. But, but to your specific point, um, you know, uh, slate office REIT, I think it's important to speak uh, openly and transparently about who we're talking about. Yeah. That's the owner. Uh, they own not only Brunswick Square, but the Delta and the what I call the NBTAL, the Brunswick Tower, uh, the parking garage. So they do own multiple facilities there. But it, but when it comes specifically to the mall, uh, it is an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, it obviously needs to be revamped. They own it. It's their responsibility, Logan, to reimagine. So, you know, when someone isn't doing anything, so they seemingly don't care whatsoever about this mall, then something else is going on. It's either a tax write-off, uh, or they they just don't care about it. It's not something in their portfolio that's important to them. Uh, but we need them as an owner to take and play an active role in reimagining this uh, building that is in not only the heart of our uptown, but also 
you know, uh, with Taurus and in particular cruise ship Taurus, I mean, I can't imagine what they're thinking when they walk through the shops uh, of City Hall and they and they they end up in Brunswick Square, where you know, look, I, I did make some comments and I was interviewed this past week, and I just want to say, look, to the businesses that are there, I meant no uh, ill will toward you, uh, the few businesses that remain, but as an owner, uh, you know, their businesses are going to do better. If there's more, yeah. there's more stores or look, I don't know. Is it housing? Is it office space? Is it something other than retail? I don't know. I think what we're saying, Logan, is that slate office REIT needs to play a much more active role. And and if you're not going to play an active role, and I've said this to the CEO directly, if you're not going to play an active role, sell it. Yeah. Sell it to someone who's going to care about this building. And um, and then we'll we'll have a partner that we can actually work with. American, regarding Market Square, the museum closed-up shop last week. It's the oldest continuing museum, and I'm pretty sure it's pr- I'm pretty sure the country. It has it has no home. There's the artifacts get spread across Douglas Avenue. They get put in storage. They will replicas in St. Andrews now. The province has said that they will build a new museum, but they haven't said where. Where should they build the new, hopefully modern? accessible museum that yeah. the city needs. Well, there's two things there. I just want to make a comment on. First of all, I, th- I, I think it is completely unacceptable that the public continues to be left in the dark, not only, yeah. uh, you know, on where we stand with taxation and despite, you know, the, the, the city um, ends up being in a very difficult uh, place. It's like, what's, I don't know if this analogy fits, but this example fits Logan, but it's like students or an individual student, Logan, you hypothetically coming on a, your podcast and openly criticizing specific uh, profs mm-hmm. at UMBSJ. Probably a dangerous strategy. Yeah. You might be living your... So the city's often caught in a really difficult spot because the province holds a lot of power over municipalities. Yeah. <clears throat> but the truth of the matter is the relationship isn't great. Often, uh, the the city is kept in the dark. When an announcement is made, the city is finding out about it at the time of the announcement, or they might get an email a half an hour before. Uh, I don't believe we're represented properly by our MLAs. We don't know where the museum stands. We don't know if we're going to get a new school in the South End. We don't know where we really stand on taxation and tax reform. So we're not treated like a true uh, partner. Now, with the museum specifically, um, no one that I know uh, actually knows what the plan is. I'm hearing uh, rumors, you know, that that certain industrialists in the city want it to go in very specific areas. And uh, I want the museum to go in the best place. It is the oldest museum. It was the oldest operating museum in the country. The museum now has been mothballed since uh, for two years. Uh, even if a new museum is, is um, announced soon, it will be four to six years likely in construction. That's unacceptable. I mean, it is to, uh, to every province in this country, likely other than New Brunswick, has a place to celebrate its history, its culture, uh, to educate uh, its citizenry, in particular its youth, and in New Brunswick we don't have it. So I'd say to Premier Higgs and to our ministers and MLAs, it's easy to cancel things. Uh, that was done back in 2018. If that hadn't been done, perhaps we would have a new museum mm-hmm. or, or we would have a building for sure. So where should it be? It should be uptown. Um, it should be where it was It was uh, decided to be on the Fundy Key uh, or the Coast Guard site. There's hundreds of thousands of cruise ship passengers that 
come to that uptown area uh, per year. Uh, it, it's the hub. It's where you want to draw people in. It's the center of our restaurant scene, uh, our gallery scene, our our uh, uh, not all of our retail. Obviously, we have retail out east as well. So, um, what we were told is that by October we ha- we would have an announcement from the premier on where a new museum uh, is going to be. And I think today it's November, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll stand happen. we'll stand by. It didn't happen. So, uh, I, I think. Look, I understand these things are complex. I, I think what the message I would send to our MLAs and to the Premier on on many files, sometimes I think they're mistaken that, um, you know, people are frustrated on perhaps just the museum or fracking the latest debate or taxation. And I think what people are actually rejecting is the lack of engagement right? We don't want to only hear from our elected officials when they're campaigning. We want to hear from them in between those times. We want them to truly be open and transparent. We want them to engage with us uh, on on where we're going on these files, and we want them to listen to our meaningful input. So we don't know where it is. Um, I, there's lots of rumors around the city, um, but but I don't know that the only people that know right now are likely the premier, uh, the premier's office, and some of his staff, um, because I think we're we've gotten a taste of how this. Pre- Premier operates, and that's uh, with a with a very closed uh, closed shop. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I would just ask and and plead really with our our local ministers and MLAs to 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 start engaging more meaningfully meaningfully with the public. And if their boss or if the premier is not um, keeping them in the loop, then they should tell the public that the premier has uh, got them shut out. The port is a happening place. The, the port of St. John, and I don't think it's ever been any busier than my, in my lifetime. I've been, I'm 21. I saw you complain on Twitter about the noise coming from the trains. But is there anything we could do about the noise that's uh, coming from the trains that go from the west side, uh, like from the port to the facility on yeah. the west side? Yeah. First of all, look, let's celebrate oh, that yeah. that we can have both. I mean, you know, whenever there's a narrative in St. John um, and a culture in St. John that if you speak up against something, you're bad. Mm-hmm. You know, you get pounded into the ground. And, uh, you know, there's been a narrative for decades now that the data does not support. And that's, uh, you know, it's the old joke about trickle down I've got a joke about trickle down economics but 99% of you aren't going to get it and uh, so we've we've had a narrative for decades perpetuated by the chamber by big industry by elected officials that um, by economic development agencies that if we just say yes to all the growth everything is going to be wonderful and that's not been the case so let's celebrate the port i was in the room with the the ceo of cp rail that said it's not possible it's probable that we can get to a million container units a year so let's celebrate that let's celebrate ceo craig esterbrooks and his team who i think are phenomenal leaders but let's Let's seek balance as well. Uh, let's uh, find ways to mitigate the impact on the community. Let's invest in arts and culture and recreation. Let's lower the tax rate. Let's make sure trucks are using the right routes. Let's get signals. There's no excuse, Logan, for not having signals on the end of Douglas Avenue so we don't have to have train whistles blasting at midnight and 3 in the morning and 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. and 
I don't think we've seen anything yet in terms of the volume. So we're an industrial city. We're mm-hmm. way more than that. You know, we are an amazing city, the best small city in Canada to live in. Uh, but we are an industrial city. And and when you live in St. John, you should benefit. Every single person should benefit from living in this city where we're dominated by industry. So um, everything happens in politics the way it was designed to happen. So if there are not um, signal indicators and, and uh, uh, you know, to eliminate some of the whistling at the end of Douglas Avenue, it's because those in uh, levels of authority at the provincial, municipal and federal levels have, have not decided it's a priority yet. So we can do a lot of things uh, to mitigate the impact of industry. And we have to stop accepting uh, uh, do- uh, pennies on the dollar. Uh, for some of the, you know, we want fair taxation, we want balance between industry and quality of life. And, uh, and with due respect, you know, thank you for uh, your dog park. But we, we want these other issues addressed, so that that we can coexist in the, in the community. Something that I've seen a lot of people talk about is the electoral system with especially with the election recently in Quebec, where the CAQ won a almost a super majority with 43% of the vote. Should we change the electoral system away from first past the person to something more proportional and representative of the population? Yeah, look, absolutely. I I think we should absolutely. (laughs) You know, frankly, um, I've become, you know, I, I think my five years as mayor, you know, at the end of the day, I have to tell you, like, it was the most meaningful work I have ever done. Mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed aspects of it. Other aspects of it was the most difficult experiences of my life. And I think for me, I realized that I, I'm just uh, wired um, to go faster than the culture and politics can go in terms of, um, you know, I like to fix broken systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to have better outcomes. I want to measure those outcomes. And, and, you know, I, I, so you learn a lot. You've seen behind the curtain, if you will, Logan. And I think, you know, conservative, generally speaking, conservatives and liberals, um, and those both mean different things today in 2022 yeah. than they did in, 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 uh, 1990. But, but I don't think either one of those parties really want to fix it because largely they benefit from the yeah, status definitely. quo. So if they change it, it's going to change. So, you know, um, so I think it should be, I think it should be changed. I think we should put the best interest of our democracy first. I'm skeptical that, it, that it will happen. Quite frankly, I know that you had, uh, the, 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 leader of the Liberal Party, Susan Holt, who I've been impressed with. I was supportive of Susan, um, uh, not because uh, I'm necessarily a, a liberal or a conservative. I, I, I look for leadership. I look mm-hmm. for individuals that, you know, not only talk about um, positive change for our communities, but actually are going to commit to it. Um so I said to someone yesterday, I mean, I want no part of a liberal party, for example, in New Brunswick that just thinks, well, Blaine Higgs is a little less popular now. So all we have to do is stand over here and wait and we'll become, you know, the next governing party in New Brunswick and the, and leader Holt becomes the premier. And then we just get a whole bunch of mediocre from the liberal party. You know, I, I want meaningful change when it comes to, um, you know, governance changes, uh, to how we elect our governments to transparency and openness and I'd like to see parties actually commit to these changes in legislative change so that you know I so that we're not chasing and I'll give you an example of uh, some of my one of my pet peeves I have asked um, uh, Minister Steves the finance minister 
for information that he spoke about publicly. He spoke about back in June publicly, and it's November 1st, and I still have not received that information. So you go around, and you go around, and you go around in circles. Mm-hmm. And um, the, and th- this is why so many people are so skeptical of elected officials today. I think there's some very, very good elected officials, but we shouldn't. Um, we shouldn't confuse tenure or the number of years served with actually getting anything done. So I'm, I've become very passionate about uh, electoral reform, but also engaging and educating the public so that they take up uh, they take the position of power that they actually hold. And, and electoral reform is just a piece of that. I, I Healthcare is not the municipal's responsibility, but we we're all affected by what I'm going to call a mediocre healthcare system in New Brunswick. People have been dying while waiting in waiting rooms, and people cannot. People, there's, I think, seventy four thousand people was the last time I heard that do not have access to a family doctor in this province. We only have eight hundred and fifteen thousand people. What does what needs to be done to the healthcare system to make it accessible for everyone so everyone can get good healthcare? Well, that's a great question. I, I, I think that, um, and first of all, I'll, I'll declare, I mean, I'm obviously not an expert. I am one of those people that hasn't had um, a family doctor uh, for 15 years since my doctor. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a patient of a clinic mm-hmm. um, with a nurse practitioner, by the way, which is, I think, fantastic. You know, um, uh, shout out to, to my nurse practitioner, to Brittany. Um, but I, but I think you know the public plays a critical role in this, Logan. I, I, I remember saying one day on the CBC, you know, St. Johners, and it applies to New Brunswickers as well. They want everything to change, and they want nothing to change. Mm-hmm. Don Mills, um, um, who who used to own corporate research in Nova Scotia. Um, he said one day, you know, one of the challenges with, with New Brunswick and Nova Scotia to an extent is we've told New Brunswickers they can live anywhere they want and they can have everything they want. And I just don't think that's sustainable. So I, we need to reform, and reform means make change to innovate. I don't believe it's only money, but I think, um, you know, I think if you're in healthcare right now, and you feel insulted and treated poorly, and uh, you're worn out from COVID, you're, un- you're overworked and you're understaffed, I think it's very natural to say, I want more money. I think when we're angry, we, you know, we say, though, I'm not, you know, saying that's the only reason. Um, but, it, but I think it could be more resources, but it also has to be positive reforms. What have we learned from COVID? How can we deliver um, uh, medical care electronically for, for some? Uh, you know, what are the positive aspects of COVID that we learned uh, in terms of the use, again, of technology and other, and other delivery methods? A pharmacy, I'm going to go and get my, my booster in the next week or so. That's going to be delivered now at a pharmacy where that wouldn't have been delivered at a pharmacy pre-COVID. So, so I think we all play a role. I, I, we cannot dig our heels in and say, don't change anything. We're going to have to accept that we might have to drive a little bit to get to some of the services that we need. And uh, we're not sustainable right now um, unless we dramatically want our taxes to go up 
Uh, and few people want that, then we're going to have to put our heads together and we're going to have to accept some some change is going to come to get some of the reforms. Um, but but you're right. Um, and then, you know, I think the transparency on, on exactly where we are, few governments want to be really honest with where we are, mm-hmm. which is also part of the problem, uh, Logan. So I think we need uh, data and a commitment to, to openness and transparency, which we see uh, later Susan Holt talk about we'll test her to see how she actually does with her commitments but i think we need to know exactly where we are and define what success looks like and then strive to get there and um and let's take the politics out of it i'm sorry you know when a when a premier unilaterally decides to fire the ceo and fire the healthcare boards uh it doesn't lead to a lot of confidence, I think, in the system. So uh, I don't, I don't have a great answer, but uh, but I know it needs to be reformed. And I think if we get the enough smart people together and we're transparent in the journey in terms of the steps that we're taking, uh, then ultimately leaders have to make decisions. Logan, you're you're not going to make everybody happy when it comes to some of these changes that that will need to be made. My final question is. When you were mayor, you you were pretty popular. Do you have any intentions to run for a high office, provincially or federally, or go back to municipal politics, or are you done in the political sphere? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, y- you know, I would be lying if I said that that flame isn't still burning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you you cannot fight passion, and I'm incredibly passionate about um, really about making a difference, about uh, better outcomes, about uh, tackling the most complex issues and rebuilding them, changing habits, fixing systems that are broken. So uh, that flame's still there, um, but I, but it, it's 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 weighted against Logan. Um, the 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 terms of employment are horrible. Um, uh, this populist movement, uh, the pretending, the irresponsible, frankly, and reckless behavior that we're seeing, more so at the federal level, but but at all levels of government, where where elected leaders stand up and they make grandiose statements, and they're they're not telling the truth. They're misleading the public. Uh, so when you are a truth speaker, when you do engage the way that I tried to engage with no budget, using Facebook Live and, and on the street and at public events, it's a it's a longer, it's a more difficult journey. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to go on a mountain bike trail on a on a road bike with uh, no no gears, you know. So it's a lot more difficult. So I don't know the answer today. Uh, I know a lot of people want me to say yes, and some people want me to say no, and and I think my answer for today is I don't know, but that flame is still there. And I still care uh, uh, deeply about, um, you know, making a difference in our communities. And I, and I think who we elect matters. And frankly, um, the public, and I guess this is a, 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 a request of all of your listeners, you play such an active role uh, in, in, our, in our democracy. Don't let apathy win. Get engaged, get ed- educated on the issues. Please vote, call the candidates, hold them accountable, uh, and, and I think those steps can make a real difference. And don't just elect 
the person you know or the name you know mm-hmm. or that person that is a you know a good volunteer that doesn't necessarily uh, uh, say that they have the the competency uh, the skill and the motivation to do the job so I think we have to take this uh, the the job of being an elected official much more seriously than we have in the past and um, and the public the voters need to stop wasting the power that they have and most importantly they need to vote well don thank you for being on the podcast my pleasure thank you logan and this has been episode four of the manifesto my name is logan and my guest today was don darling former mayor of saint john thank you